Welcome to Weston Park Baptist Church uh, once again. Today, we finish our series on walking with Christ towards Jerusalem. Um, we've been thinking about how are we during this Lenten period with Christ, and Lent ends on Thursday. And of course, today is Palm Sunday, so Jesus is entering um, Jerusalem, and this is the beginning of Passion Week. So a question we might ask ourselves is, how have we been through this Lenten time? Through these seven weeks, have we changed at all? Have we drawn towards Christ? Have we taken advantage of what Lent's all about? I know that's been difficult because we've been distracted with much of what's going on in our world. But you know, the spiritual life is really about that. We live our life with Christ in the midst of the real world. I was reading this week about the Spanish uh, pandemic that happened, I believe, 1918. And it, what I saw was like 50 million people had died all around the world. So something massive was going on. And those folk, my grandparents, would have been in Ireland during those days. And they had to walk their faith in the midst of that challenge. And here we are in the midst of ours. So life is always got its hurdles, and uh, we're in the midst of a big one right now. So we finished Lent. How have we, or finishing it, how have we been? And now we move into uh, Passion Week. So Palm Sunday then, a day of rejoicing. Normally our church would be full of people who are waving palms and we're rejoicing and lots of music and we're celebrating. Today we're in a different spirit uh, because of the COVID-19. We're isolated, we're separated. Nevertheless, online we meet and we want to be uh, hearing what Jesus has got for us. So with that in mind, we're looking at uh, three stories from the Gospel of Luke. And the context is the beginning, uh, Pastor Bonnie has already read that for us, where Jesus is teaching and there is this strange mixture of people who are listening to him. There are, quote, sinners, including tax collectors, who are at his feet and are listening, people who have been ostracized from the Jewish community of the day, the religious. And then there are also the Pharisees. These are the learners of the day, the PhDs of the day, those who have studied uh, the Torah at the best schools, who are a little bit suspicious of Christ because one, he didn't go to the best schools, he went to none of them, but yet people see him as a prophet even, and they don't know what to make of all this. In fact, they're pretty critical. Um, that's that strange mix that's going on in the audience. So Jesus senses this. He senses the tension. He understands that, hey, some people are with me here and others are being judgmental. So what he does, which is a good rabbinic form, is he tells some stories. So he tells three stories to make a point to his audience of how they are responding to the good news of the gospel. Some are happy, some are drawn, others are suspicious, much like we have today. And so we hear these three stories. And the first story, these are all well known, is the shepherd who has 100 sheep. And 
he finds that one of them is lost. In my years in Bolivia over the years, I've spent a good bit of time in different parts of the country, frequently in the rural areas, and there is a lot of shepherding going on. Shepherding of goats, of donkeys, of sheep, of llamas, of apaca. Uh, it's, it's a part of the commerce of that country. And to be a shepherd, watching over 100 animals is challenging, and I've seen them. I've seen donkeys running down the road and a young shepherd boy chasing after it. It was quite funny. He's about 100 yards behind the donkey, and the donkey sees a break, and he's just gone. The little guy's chasing after it to try to get his burrow back. So we have 100. And the shepherd finds that 99 are in good shape. They're right there. But one has been lost. One, that's the word that's used. One is wandered away. And again, in, in an area of like the Judean hills, there's lots of crevices. Sheep can get down into areas they can't get back. So the shepherd is concerned. And he goes looking for this one lost sheep. In fact, we're told that he leaves 99, which is a curious move, but he does it to chase and find the one lost sheep. So he goes that way, and we're told that uh, he finds it. And in a loving, caring scene, he picks up the sheep and puts the sheep over his shoulders, which, by the way, is one of the very early pictures in Christian art of Jesus. Jesus, the good shepherd, carrying the sheep. That's the picture here. And he's rejoicing. He's having a good time. He's saying, hey, it's so good to have you back. I've got my hundred sheep. In fact, so much so that when he gets back, he gets together with the other shepherds and the broader community. Uh, probably a number of people actually were vested in these large number of, of animals, a hundred sheep. And so they all are happy when the shepherd gets back. At this point, Jesus adds a comment. And the comment is, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who need no repentance. He's speaking to tax collectors. He's speaking to sinners, we're told. And he's speaking to the learned, PhD religious people. And this has a little bit of a bite. How are we responding to the good news of someone who is lost and is found? And Jesus says there is joy in heaven. Palm Sunday, joy. Because the sheep has been found. Interesting in Jesus' comment here, he uses the word metoneo or metanoia twice. And so you see that. One sinner who repents, that's the word repentance, then over 99 righteous people who need no repentance. So I believe we have this slide for you to see. This is what metanoia means, to repent. Biblical theology tells us that metanoia is a deep change of heart and thinking. That's what repentance is. A complete reorientation toward God, which results in a new pattern of actions and reactions. It is our total surrender to God with a firm determination to fulfill God's will in all things. That's the word repentance. And in the Jewish culture, culture repentance was seen as a beautiful thing. Somebody repents. Somebody turns around, completely changes the direction they were going, 
They take, they make the 360, they're going. And this is the idea of repentance, and Jesus uses that in this story. The shepherd finds the one lost sheep, and now they're all together, and then Jesus makes the comment on joy in heaven. So we hear that first story. The audience of Christ is hearing that first story. He goes on, he's a good rabbi, he tells another story, and this time we notice, and by the way, the shepherd figure here is is standing in for who God is. And so this time, the story is of a woman in her home, a little home, Palestinian home, who has 10 silver coins, a drachma, which is worth about 10 days' wage. One coin was a week's wage. Significant. She has 10. One of them has been lost. The woman here is also standing for God, the Father. Interesting idea. And so we're told that she has misplaced this one coin and in a little Palestinian hut, there would be no, you know, it's, it's a dirt floor and there are reeds, there are maybe palms, there are those kinds of branches, easy for a silver coin to get lost. And so we're told that the woman diligently looks. You imagine how hard it would be to find a little silver coin, smaller than a dime. She's looking for that dime, methodical, Searching, just as God the Father is looking and searching for us. That's the picture Jesus is saying to this group. What happens here? Well, once again, she finds the coin, the drachma, and she is super happy. I have found my coin, the one I've lost. This actually might have been part of her dowry, some have suggested, these ten coins. So what happens here? She calls her friends, she calls her family, those who are closest to her, and again, they have a big party. There's joy. And Jesus, once again, makes a statement on this parable. These are all parables. Just so I tell you, Jesus says, this is his commentary, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The word repent again, metanoia. God is thrilled when we repent, when we turn to him. It's a beautiful word. In our culture, we think of repentance. Oh, that's kind of a religious jargon. That's a heavy-duty word. In, in that culture, it's, it's turning. It's, it's lifting up your eyes to God. It's a wonderful word. So here the woman is searching methodically for the coin, just as God searches methodically for us who are lost, just like the sinners who are sitting at Jesus' feet. That's the gospel's language. And those who are religious and judging, Jesus is making a point. That's the second story. Typically, rabbis use in threes. So there is one final story, and this is the story of the father and two sons, which is the story that we know best, often called the story of the prodigal son. But note, it's the father and two sons. So the story is that, the parable is that, not, they're not, it's not just about the prodigal. The father has two sons, this is the story, so it comes to us in two scenes. The first scene is the one we know best, which is that of the prodigal son. Maybe a young adolescent. And the young adolescent is bored, is tired, man, I don't want to keep living in this dumb little 
town. I want to go out and I want to see the world, just as adolescents want to be adventurers and move and go. Let's see what's going on. I'm Irish, and the Irish are known of having itchy feet, and they're wanderers. The Irish like to wander. Here we have the young guy, and he wants to wander. And so he asks, and it's, 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 wow, really blunt for someone to ask the father to get the inheritance up front because you're really saying, I wish you were dead so I could get my money off you. The father, for whatever reason, graciously complies, gives him his inheritance. And so off he goes. And you know the story. He goes off and has a super-duper time, spends all his money, and while he has the money, he's really popular. Everybody thinks he's great. When the money finally is all gone, they all leave him. You're not of any value to me now that you have no money. And so he's desperately poor, he's hungry. We're told in the story there's a famine. So he has to take some sort of work, even working with pigs, feeding the pigs, which would, in a Jewish culture would have been like very, very shameful. That's where he finds himself. And then the story gives us a lovely verse. And it says, but when he came to himself, he said... How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare, but here I am dying of hunger. He comes to himself. Everything in this first scene changes when he comes to himself. So he comes to himself and he decides, you know what, I'm going to return to my father's house. I will no longer be one of his sons. I'll be one of the servants, but at least I'm going to live safely. I'm going to have enough food. It will be way better than this. I'm going to go, repent, I'm going to say I'm sorry, and I'll live as a servant. That's what I'm going to do. That's what he says. So in the language of Thomas Merton, he would say that there is a change from the false self to the true self. That I'm no longer seeing myself simply externally the way the world sees me with the same kinds of values, I'm not going to keep using that lens, but I'm going to use the lens of the true self, which values compassion and community and empathy and love. And I see myself honestly. That's what the young son does. And so he goes back. And again, we have a lovely scene here where the father, who is, remember, God, he is looking for the son returning, and he sees him in the distance, and he runs out to him, which, again, would be amazing in that culture. And the son starts babbling on about how sorry I'm sorry I am. I've really messed up. And the father just loves. And the word is compassion, which is the word that is used of Jesus all the time. Jesus has compassion, same word. The father has compassion. And as a result, throws an amazing party. He's so happy that his son returns. Puts a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, a robe about him. My son has returned home. The prodigal has gone away, has blown all of his inheritance. He comes back, he's received, he's welcomed, he's loved. That's the first scene. The story could end right there. That's a lovely scene. God loves us. We are the prodigals frequently. We roam around. We are gone. We return. God loves us. Happy story. We could end right there. 
but it's a father and two sons. And so now we have the second scene. The second scene is of an elder brother who returns to the house, hears all the joyful noise and music and dancing, and he says to the servants, hey, like, hey, what's up? What's going on? Servant says, well, hey, your younger brother's come back and uh, your father is just like over the top. He's so happy, he's thrown a party for him. You remember how the story goes. The elder son is angry. The elder son is bitter. He's resentful. He starts thinking, hey, my, my father's never done anything like that for me. And here I am working my, you know, tail off, and no, throw, no party's thrown. So he's angry, and he won't go into the house. And so the father hears of this, and he comes out the house. Now, it's interesting, the placement here. The elder son is out of the house. He's not in the house. The father has to come out of the house to meet him. The younger son who's returned is now in the house. So the father goes out and he talks to the older son and he says, hey, I mean, son, you know everything I have is yours. I completely appreciate what you've done. Everything I have is yours. But we have to rejoice that your younger brother has come home. And that's why we're doing a party. The elder son feels it's not fair. It's not just. The question is, will he go into the father's house? We don't know. He doesn't go in. So the question is, the story is left with an open ending there. Does he finally go in? Does he stay out? The picture of being in the house means that you're in with the father, you're in a relationship with him. Or do I stay out because of my anger, because of my resentment, because life doesn't seem there. You know, lots of people, I have people in our church here right now who are, who are struggling, who are entrepreneurs, and their businesses are, are challenged. Because Moya wouldn't mind, who opened our service today, has three art, different art stores, two at this point. Well, they've all been closed up. This is tough times. But Moya was here, and he's giving thanks. He's praising. There's lots of anger. Lots of hurt. Lots of saying, where are you, God, in the midst of all this? But the story here is the father rejoices once more. And there's rejoicing. There's happiness. There's a Palm Sunday ending. So there are three stories of joy. And I like what one commentator has uh, written, and I say it here. There is a condition worse than death, and that is to be lost. And there is a condition better than life, and that is to be found. And that's really the story of these three. To know life in Christ. To be in the house of the Father and not outside. To experience the joy that Palm Sunday and Easter offers to us. We'll get to the pain. Good Friday's coming up. But here, we're on this side at this point. 
So hearing those three stories, we end with the question, all right, where are we in the story? Jesus has told them, and he's asking the people in his audience to find themselves here. All right, I've told you three stories. Shepherd looking for a lost sheep, a woman searching for a lost coin, a father with two sons, one returns and another one is angry. Where are you in these stories? And so for each of us today, whether you're part of Western Park Baptist Church or listening somewhere else, where are we in these stories? Are we like the prodigal who is lost? Or are we like the elder brother who is bitter and angry? If we're sitting at Jesus' feet, am I one of the sinners who is, who is being drawn to Christ? There's something about this guy that I, I really want to know more of. Or am I sitting there in judgment? Lots of that going on too. So ultimately, where are we in the story? How are we responding to God's amazing grace? Caption for our church, as you know, is receiving grace, giving grace. Receiving grace from Christ, giving grace to others. If we receive grace, then we're invited to pass that on. Pass that on to people that don't see exactly like we do. Maybe people that we're out of relationship with a little bit. Receiving, giving grace, walking with Jesus towards Jerusalem, we enter with him and begin the Passion Week. So I pray for you and for myself and for our church community as we begin this Passion Week today on a happy note, as happy as we can be amidst the challenges we experience, amidst the isolation we experience, amidst the suffering we experience, amidst the loneliness we experience. But you know, there is a take on that. We may be lonely, we may be isolated, but it's also an opportunity. It's an invitation for you and for me to experience the loneliness of Christ, the suffering of Christ, the Passion Week that's ahead of him. Maybe we can experience that in some way that we wouldn't experience apart from the challenges of COVID-19. I pray that we'll hear, I pray that we'll look, we might respond and give thanks to God for all that he's done for us. And I say these names, words, in Jesus' name.